0: Morning. Morning. Good, morning. good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to turn on my uh, timer here. I'm not, so I don't know who Jack is, but he's a man after my heart wanting to see spring training. I'm a big baseball guy. And so I'm not checking break scores. I'm just keeping my timer uh, up here. So, I don't know. It's, too long. it's good to be back with you guys. It's, uh, it's been a minute. And um, I'm thankful for uh, Alex inviting me back. It has been a, a rough past year or so in the Canadian household, but it is, uh, it's is—it's good to be with you guys. I'm going to read from, uh, from John chapter 12, and I know in the bulletin it says I'm starting at verse, at verse 12, uh, but I'm not. I'm actually going to start at verse 9 just to give us a little bit of context. And this is uh, today's Palm Sunday. It's historically, Throughout the history of the church, even globally, uh, the, Sun- uh, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, it's the first day of Passion Week, it is uh, commonly called Palm Sunday, and Jesus rides into Jerusalem. So this is where we are. This is what's going on. And let me ask this question before I start to read. How does Jesus come to you? Especially in your sin, your weakness. How do you think he comes to you? Keep that question in mind as we read John chapter 12. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So this is the chapter right before Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing Look, the world has gone after you. This is God's word to us. It is absolutely true, and it has been given to us in love. We pray for us. Father, as we spend some time looking at this passage this morning, we ask that you would indeed grip our hearts with your love for us. That we would know <coughs> your grace. That we would know your patience and your kindness. Give us to us, reveal those things, Lord. Give us maybe even just a glimpse of those things, even as we sit here at this point. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot my water bottle. Let me grab that. Allergies <laughs> So that always like makes my lips dry, and my eyes water. Let me start with some crowd participation. we talked about baseball. Who else out here is a sports fan? Care about sports? <laughs> <laughs> All right, how many of you are lying? All right, what's your, what's your, who raised your hand? Keep your hand high. What's your favorite sport? I like football. Football, what's your favorite sport? I like football. Football, who's your, like football. Football. Who's your team? Seattle. Seattle? The Browns. The Browns. <laughs> You okay. <laughs> like emotionally, like are you like are <laughs> I mean, you gotta be scarred? I've like, been like, <laughs> down for years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What about you? I like football and basketball. Football and basketball. Okay. All right. So we got football and basketball. All right. So we'll go. We'll go with. Uh, well, man, like I can't talk about Sean Watson and your quarterback just left for another team. All right. So. Let's pretend someone said basketball, <laughs> and let's pretend that your favorite basketball team was Utah Jazz, okay? and let's pretend, because this requires some imagination, uh, let's pretend that U- Utah Jazz wins the NBA championship. <laughs> and so uh, at the end of that, uh, at the end of the season, uh, Salt Lake City throws a big celebratory parade for the Utah Jazz. And then Donovan Mitchell, who is uh, the jazz star player, he is the, he's the MVP of the NBA Finals. Okay? So everyone's gathered at this big, huge parade. Can't wait to see the jazz roll down <coughs> State Street. And Donovan Mitchell comes out, and everyone is shouting his praises, so glad for him. And he comes Rolling out on a little tricycle, <laughs> and everyone just kind of stops. Says, "Huh, that's, uh, that's interesting. You you would think that the MVP of the NBA championship games would come out in some like luxury SUV or at least like some big truck that some of the other players are in, but no, it just comes headling out." All right, I start there because that's the scene. Okay, that that for for the first for a first-century Jew to see Jesus come riding in on a donkey, they don't know what to do. They're 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 just not really sure. I'll talk about that more in a second. Okay, so there's two things that are happening. The first one is the celebratory parade. But there's also a second thing. It's also the time of Passover. Which, for the Jews, remember, this is the celebration of all celebrations. The Passover was the time when they were celebrating when the Jews were delivered out of slavery from Egypt. So you have these two kind of almost holidays, if you will. Uh, If you know anything about Hanukkah, that's what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah is a celebration of when Judas Maccabeus comes rolling into Jerusalem around somewhere between 155 and 165 BC. But the Jews had defeated the Romans, and he's rolling up into town, not on a donkey, but on a war horse. And what the people do is they they, the, The palm branches would have been like a flag And they're waving the flag For the one who conquered Rome Okay, now we're 150 some odd years later Rome is back in charge It's Passover Jesus has just raised someone from the dead what do you think is happening in the mind of Israelites right When it says in verse 14, well, I'm sorry, in verse 13. Well, I just started over verse 12. <laughs> the next day the large crowd that had to come to the feast, they remember the feast is Passover, for pas- Passover, they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They had heard about this guy who just raised someone from the dead. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now at first glance, it sounds like they're getting it right. Because what does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means, Lord, save us. They are not talking about the kind of salvation that you and I normally talk about when we talk about Lord, save us. They're not talking about being saved from a disease. They're not talking about being saved eternally. They're not not talking about being saved from something that's happening in their own hearts and minds. They are talking about Jesus, come and save us from this Roman rule. Jesus, will you be king? This happens before, back in John 6, after Jesus feeds the 4,000 or 5,000. They want to take him and make him king by force. This is the exact same thing that they're doing here. The last part of verse 13. So that, that so that whole thing there where it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's right out of Psalm 118. Okay? It's a messianic psalm. We love that psalm. But then the crowds add this part. Even the king of Israel. That is not in Psalm 118. That is something that's added. What the Jews are going for here What the Jews want is they want Jesus to take charge. They want him to to take control. They want him to uh, see the the biggest issue in their life, which is what they feel is Rome, and kick them out so they can have their country. In a word, what they want is power. Now we hear that, and we maybe we kind of makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable because what I'm trying to do without saying out loud is that this is a political route. And the Jews, what they've done is at this particular time, they actually do it a lot, is they have equated Yahweh, their God, in whom was brought, who brought them out of Egypt. So they would love, so that they would love him and serve him and worship him. They they created this religion and then bring in their politics. So now we're talking about nationalism. They're waving the flag. This is a motorcade, y'all. And they want Jesus to just come in and just take over. Now the flip side of this is the Pharisees, okay. Look down at verse 19. It says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. It's interesting, right? Like they're pointing fingers at each other. See, you're gaining nothing. I haven't done anything wrong. It's you. It's your fault. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after them. Now, this is, this is a prophecy, but it's kind of about an accident. And you'll see it, if you keep reading, in, in the very next section in... John 12, is that the Greeks, or the nations, come to the disciples and say, Sir, we want to see Jesus. So, here's what I want you to see. That even though the crowd is in one place, the Pharisees are in another place. It's the same side, or sorry, it's a different side of the same thing. It's both about power. The Jews want power over their nation, over their lives, so they want to make Jesus king. The Pharisees feel threatened by Jesus. Why? Because everyone's going to him and they're losing life. Which side of the coin are you? Are you the, uh, man, if we could just get the right person back in office, (laughs) oh, it'd be, this country, my life, it'd be so much better. Let me challenge that. What shapes your political ideals? Is it your political party? Where's the Jesus? I once heard a, a, a pastor who was about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, 200 pounds say, you know, trying to fit Jesus into a political ideal is like trying to fit an offensive lineman into a pair of skinny jeans. <laughs> it just doesn't work. There, there are things that he's going to... Because he's Jesus. And there are going to be some things that Republicans are going to disagree with, and there's going to be some things that Democrats are going to be good. But my point is is that when we start thinking that if Jesus would just do what we want him to do. (laughs) Right? We laugh because we did take to Jesus what he should do. Jesus, we want our, either we want to gain power or we don't want to lose our power. And Jesus will have nothing to do with these. You notice in verse 14 it says in the ESV or in some translations it says and Jesus. But the better word there is but Jesus. If someone conquers a a nation or a city they don't ride in on a donkey. They ride in on a war horse. Because Jesus will not fit into what we think is the way he should do this. He never has, and he never will. He will not operate on your terms. He will not operate on America's terms. He will not operate on the world's terms. Jesus has and always will operate on his terms. Why? Because he's the king. He is the king. Now look, if you don't get this, you're actually in good company. Look at verse 16. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and been done to him. In this moment, when Jesus hops up on a donkey and rides into town, the disciples are like, oh, this makes perfect sense. No. The disciples are like, what in the world is he doing? This actually is common throughout the Gospels. Jesus does things, and at first everyone's just kind of like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and then it's after his death and his resurrection that they look back and they're like, oh. Oh. Now I can hear. Now I can <laughs> At first they don't understand. They don't get what Jesus is doing. I mean, this is reminiscent, right, of of when when Peter makes this great claim of, you are the Christ, you are the the Son of God. And then when Jesus starts talking about death, because this is where he's headed, Peter's like, oh, wait a minute, no. um, You're supposed to reign, you're supposed to rule. You can't die. And Jesus says, what? Get behind me." Because the way that Jesus rules in our lives is not the way that we want him to. Or the way that we think he should. This is why the Spirit has to come to us, why it has to come to the disciples even later, because oftentimes what Jesus does, it just doesn't make no, no sense. It just doesn't make sense. And so you've got this one group of people who want Jesus to come in and take over. And Jesus won't do it. Not in the way that they want him to. And maybe that's why just a, just a few days later, some of these same people who right now are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe some of those people will say, "Crucify." And maybe for some of you it's difficult, like you maybe even are struggling with your faith because this whole time you've been thinking, hey, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I feel like I should get something out of it. It doesn't seem to be coming through for me. Sometimes it just doesn't make me sick. And then the other side of people who are feeling threatened by Jesus and who he is, we do the same thing too. Jesus, I'll follow you. Uh, don't ask me for that. I, I, I want to I keep holding on to that. Don't ask me to give up that. that. That's a little much. That's a little much. So how does Jesus come to us? If he doesn't come to us in the way that we think he should, if he doesn't come to us This, with our understanding of power. And how does he come? With knowing. When does he come to us? In our failures. We have to be really careful. We don't want Jesus to be our success story. Because if Jesus is crucified a few days later, what does that mean? I get it. Look, I really do. The, the church, it's, it's a different animal than it was, even from when I was little. Like The, the church is not empowered. It, it's not relevant. It's, it's not um, inspirational. And I think that that scares us. We don't know what to do with that. We're not used to that. And I get it. We look at the world around us and we think, man, what is going on here? But Jesus did not wake up yesterday morning and say, oh no, what's happening to the world? Because he's king. And so we have to be really careful thinking that if we could just make this happen or that happen, I just read recently, an article that was um, saying that the political rallies all over the, the country are looking more and more like worship services. Now on the one hand, people worshiping God, that's great. Politics are good, right? I mean, politics are meant to bring change, if they're used correctly. But let's be honest. Who's using politics correctly right now? Who isn't self-serving? Who isn't seeking power? doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. Just be honest about that. So we have to be really careful that we're not turning our politics and equating them with following Jesus. I get it. It's so much easier to just pick a side. But we're not called to pick a side. We're called to follow Jesus. And sometimes that doesn't line up with our side. Sometimes that means we let go of power. Sometimes that means we have to be humble. Sometimes that means we have to be honest about our failures. And if you want to kill yourself politically, start talking about your failures. And start talking about you But this is what Jesus does. He doesn't come in with power. He doesn't come in to take over the way that we want him to or think we sh- that he should. He comes in humbly on a donkey. And he's coming to people <clears throat> who have faith again and again. Okay, this is the biblical witness, right? This is from the beginning. When Adam and Eve fall, <coughs> what is God's word to them? Oh, you blew it. Guess I'll find somebody else. No, what does he do? He says, where are you? And that's not a question of, I don't can't find you. That's a question of pursuit. (laughs) I'm coming after you. How about Abraham? What's Abraham doing when Yahweh, the God of Israel, comes to him? Is he making sacrifices? Is he having a quiet time? Nah. He's worshiping the sun god. And then after he pits out his wife, not once, but twice... Does God say, okay, I'm gonna to have to move on? No. He goes after Abraham again. Moses. Moses is killed in an Egyptian. What does God do? He comes to him in the burning. David commits adultery, commits genocide to cover up the adultery. What does God say? I'm done with you. No. He keeps going after him. Comes to him in his failure. Jonah. Jonah gets on a ship going the opposite way of where God has called him and what does it say? Jonah, you're done. I'm gonna find somebody else. <clears throat> Note it says the word of God came to Jonah what? A second time. Let's meet through the New Testament. Let's just stay in the Gospel of John. Right before this, John, or Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus isn't healthy. He's not some great success story. He's dead. And that's when Jesus comes to him. In chapter 13, what does Jesus do? He takes off his outer garments, he puts on a towel, and he leans down, and he washes the filth off of his disciples' feet. The same disciples who, as it, all this is going on, they're standing around saying, what in the world is going on? How does Jesus come to Paul? After Paul preaches the best sermon ever? No. After he's been arresting and putting other Christians in prison and saying, yeah, you can stone them. I think that's a great idea. My point is, is that what Jesus does when he comes to you, when he comes to me, it is not because of your great moral attainment. Praise God for that, right? Right. It is not because you're a success. And it's not because you have it all together. It's not because you're great parents. It's not because your certainty. It's not because of your strength or your muscle or your power or your abilities. This is, these are the things that the world comes after. No, what Jesus does time and time and time again He comes to you in your weakness. In your sin, in your failures, in your cowardice, in your instability, in your disability, in your infirmities, in your poverty. These are the times that Jesus comes to you. I mentioned earlier that um, this past year has been difficult, and, and Kelly was kind of a pray for my prayer request. What I didn't tell you is that the guy who died was my closest friend. And what I also didn't tell you is that he took his own life. That is in, That was in the midst of a global pandemic. That was in the midst of my oldest son moving out. It just feels like it's been lost after lost after lost. And when I look back at my life, I've been a Christian for almost 25 years now. When I look back, and I look back at a broken engagement, I look back at a failed church plan, I look back at running away from things because I was fearful. I look back and I lost him. my dearest friend, and it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. When I look back on those things and I remember, much like the disciples do, it's, it's not in my success, it's not in my gift. in my weakness that where I finally begin to see Jesus for who he really is. So I'm going to end with this. I want you to just sit for a second. And I want you to think about your most recent failure. Whatever that might be. Maybe you looked porn in my sleep. Maybe you yelled at your children this morning and lost your patience. I don't know. Maybe you have one more drink than you should have. (coughs) No one to blame. I want you to think about that failure. I want you to just sit with it for a second. I want you to think about how Jesus comes to you in it. In your mind's eye, you see an angry, scowling, disappointed Jesus. You're not seeing the Jesus of the gospel. I hope you can see a Jesus who comes to you with a smile on his face, compassion in his voice. You can see him coming to you in his humility and grabbing your face and lifting it up and hear him say, I love you. I am for you. In five days, I'm going to die for what you just did. And I'm doing it gladly. Just sit with that for a second, just in your mind's eye, and let Jesus come to you in the midst of your failure and sin. And then I'll pray. Jesus, you know what a terrifying experience it is to just sit and be quiet. I pray that you would help us to do that more. Just sit and be with you and to hear you say that you love us, say for us, that you died for us, that you were risen again.